When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson. On October 6th, we've got episode number 111. Yes, 111. Well, just ahead, the business model behind Ghost Kitchens with Noodles and Company. Yes, Ghost Kitchens and Noodles and Company are both things. We'll talk about that. And the latest in a litany of shipping woes. Do you now need to worry about power outages in China? and the mighty struggles of green energy supplier Flowtech. We've got John Gibson coming back to talk to us about why his company is struggling so mightily and why he thinks it's still gonna do well. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And we hope you listen to the drill down every day as so many of our listeners do. That's easier. Use your smart speaker. Just turn to that smart speaker and ask it to play the latest drill down podcast. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We do explain the business stories behind a handful of stocks on the move. We also have the three most important developments in the world of business right now with executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac? Corey, let's start with Facebook. We have, Facebook's been in the news uh, for a while now. We haven't really touched this story but today, Facebook has slowed the rollout of new products to examine their possible impact on users. Now, this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The paper says Facebook is putting a hold on some work because of recent media reports and congressional hearings related to the exposure of internal documents showing some harmful repercussions from its platforms. Now, reportedly, more than a dozen people are involved in conducting, quote, reputational reviews to examine how Facebook may be criticized and to ensure products don't adversely impact children. Bias alert, uh, we own some Facebook shares uh, and have for quite a while, although I've sold some uh, lately um, for unrelated re reasons. But I have uh, kept track of the performance of Facebook after Mark Zuckerberg testifies before Congress, and it almost universally goes up over time. The real question here is, is do the horrible headlines and deservedly horrible headlines coming out of uh, this congressional testimony make one bit of difference. Did anyone stop using Facebook or WhatsApp or Instagram because of these headlines? And is it, does that, you know, is maybe slowing product rollouts might have an effect. Maybe this is just a nod to the government, make it look like the uh, testimony is having an effect on the business. But uh, thus far, it doesn't look like it slowed them down one bit. Yeah. I think the only way that they get slowed down was when they had the, that outage for around six hours. 
Number two, let's get to General Motors. General Motors set one of its most ambitious financial targets in years, telling investors it aims to more than double revenue by 2030. The automaker also says it plans to take the lead in electric vehicle sales in the U.S., but it did stop short of providing a timetable on that goal. And finally, let's go on Amazon-owned Twitch. The video game streaming platform has suffered a data breach. The Twitch information, Twitch information was leaked on the online chat forum 4chan. The 4chan user who allegedly posted the Twitch data said they did so to hurt Twitch's business. The person claimed to have access to information including Twitch source code, internal security tools, and creator payouts. The user labeled the data dump as, quote, part one, suggesting there might be more to come. I think we should get that guy working on a podcast. That's a good forward tease to forward <laughs> that, uh, This is just part one. <laughs> That's more a good tease. coming later. Uh, but what's Stay not tuned. fun is a data breach like that. Stay tuned for one more hack. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's look at Acuity Brands. Do you know this company? No, I don't. I've never heard of this. Acuity Brands trades under AYI. Shares rose 11% today, and they've gained 78% in a year. Tell me about Acuity Brands. So it's a big company. Um, uh, they are, you know, it's $7 billion market cap. Uh, they do lighting and lighting supplies and thermostats and building management systems, they call them. Um, uh, interesting company. Uh, they reported earnings today. They're pretty good. Stock was up, as you mentioned, a, a good amount today. But, you know, once again, I think the, the big takeaway was what's going on with their supply chain. They um, are talking about how because it's such a big company and they've got production in the U.S. and Canada, in Asia and in Mexico, that they really can move production around to create things in the places where they have raw components to do so. And that, that might give them some opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, and so um, when asked on the conference call about kind of supply chain problems, um, talking about freight issues as well uh, uh, with someone named Karen who was on the call, whatever. Um, and the, you know, the, this notion that they can move production to where it needs to be has helped them with supply chain problems, but hasn't solved all those problems entirely. Here is the CEO, Neil Ash. At the moment, our key constraint is access to containers, and which is why Karen uh, brought up freight. I think everybody's uh, everybody's dealing that dealing with that as as she indicated. We you know, we've obviously planned in advance for that, and so we've locked in both availability and price for certain periods. And now we're, you know, we're accelerating some of that. As we look out, um, you know, let's add this. Uh, let's add China power issues to the 768 other ways that the supply chain is being impacted by these uh, global challenges, and we'll adapt to that the same way we're adapting to uh, to all the other challenges. So yeah, supply chain issues, including China power. Um, it's just one thing after another. Um, and, you know, uh, these things don't look like they're lighting up here as we are into the fourth quarter. Lighting up. Pun not intended. Lightening up, I said, Isaac. Good. Very good. Thank you for that clarification. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Takeda. Takeda Pharmaceutical trades under TAK. Shares fell 10% today, and they've dropped 17% over the past 12 months. So what's going on with Takeda? So that big drop today mm -hmm. was about a problem they had with a phase two study that we had every reason to think was going well. The drug that they were testing is called TAK994, and it is uh, to fight narcolepsy, which I know some of you listen to this show probably nod off when you hear my voice. Don't do that. Wake up. 
But uh, uh, in fact, uh, narcolepsy is a serious problem. These guys thought they had a, a drug that looked like um, the FDA had actually kind of approved a pathway for them to run their studies and get the drug quickly approved. And yet in these phase two studies, they ran into some safety problems. They didn't say what it is, but uh, the company, the Japanese company, uh, came out and instantly stopped the study. They said as a precautionary measure, they suspended dosing of new patients and existing patients in the study. And they stopped the study entirely early, but it's not over for this drug. And they're saying that they will get a quote, timely interpretation of the risk benefit profile of TAK994 um, and figure out what's next. So we don't know if they're going to actually look at the data that they've gotten and see what's up and if they can understand the efficacy in addition to the problems with the safety. But uh, they're still kind of charging ahead with plans to possibly uh, continue developing this drug. It's kind of a mystery. And I think because of that mystery, you saw the stock sell off. And I think part of that mystery is the company's own fault. If you go back to July 30, the last time the company talked about this drug, this, uh, Andy Plump, who's the president of research and development at Takeda, said that uh, that they were in this accelerated program with the FDA. It wasn't uh, for accelerated approval, but because the pathways of the product approval were laid out by the FDA, they thought they could be in a conversation with the FDA and get there faster. That kind of confidence was not warranted. And I think that that's why you saw Takeda and the, the market surprised by today's development. Here's what Andy Plump had to say back in July. Our base case for, for TAC994 and narcolepsy type 1 is not a, a, an FDA quote-unquote accelerated approval. Our base case is approved based on accepted endpoints for registration. So, so the timeline that we're putting forward actually is highly accelerated, but it's not dependent on an accelerated approval by FDA. Now, with the breakthrough therapy designation, we'll have a chance to sit very closely with FDA and discuss what exactly will be required. What's the length of the study? What are the endpoints? Whether or not there are comparators? You know, this is a real privileged opportunity for us. Even with that opportunity, people think that the data are so profound that we can do this in an accelerated fashion, but having that designation will certainly enable um, that path. Or not. I mean, obviously what we're seeing today is that the, the safety problems trump everything else and they should. But uh, that uh, we'll see what happens with the FDA close relationship now that the drug was deemed and the trial was deemed to be unsafe. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Noodles and Company. Do you know Noodles and Company? I know of Noodles and Company, but Do I've never really? eaten there. Yeah. I've, I've seen the was, signage places. You have. I had not hmm. until I started looking at the stock this week. I feel like they're in airports, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Noodles & Company trades under NDLS. Shares rose over 7% today, and they've gained 77% in a year. Well, uh, it's, so it's an interesting restaurant company. It trades at an extraordinary valuation. And yes, they sell. You, you want your carbs. You want to get the Noodles & Company. Although, to be fair, they have zucchini and cauliflower noodles as well. Yes, you can get your cauliflower gnocchi there, which is hard to do. Nonetheless, um, a Noodles & Company... Uh, interesting restaurant business, growing at a kind of nice clip, uh, very richly valued by the market. But what I thought was really interesting is they just announced, they've opened up the recently announced, uh, uh, a second ghost kitchen. Do you know about this ghost kitchen business? I know of ghost kitchens. I didn't know that Noodles & Company was using this. Well, they're just, they're just experimenting with it, but they really okay. like it. They opened one in Chicago, and then they just announced they opened one uh, near here, Silicon Valley here in San Jose, California. Some would say that's the heart of Silicon Valley. I don't know. There is a heart. In Silicon Valley. There's no but, heart. 
No. Uh, and no soul. No. And yet here I am. Um, Noodles and Company's ghost kitchen business is meant to sort of take advantage of the way people get food to these days, getting food delivered. Mm-hmm. And where the restaurant experience happens at your front door, not in a restaurant. And it really changes the way the whole business works. It changes the economics quite a bit. But it also changes the kitchen itself. The size of the kitchen can be a lot smaller. The kitchen can be optimized for creating stuff to go into a package and get out the front door instead of uh, to look good in a menu or to be uh, arrive at a table piping hot or whatever the things that matter inside of a restaurant. Something different for this company. And uh, the CEO, when asked about an investor conference, we had to go all the way back to May to hear some comments, May 19, when uh, Dave Boninghausen, the CEO, talked about uh, the difficulties in the ghost kitchen business, but really talked about why they loved ghost kitchens and why it might create a different kind of opportunity for growth for Noodle & Company. Here's uh, Dave Boninghausen. What we love about the ghost kitchens, aside from the speed, the flexibility, from a cost perspective, is we are learning a lot about how efficient can we be. Uh, our Our typical kitchen right now, Andrew, is 850 square feet. The box that we use in Chicago is 200. Now there's shared space, so it's not exactly a one-for-one type of look. It's not, it's, it's, it's not that. However, we are identifying ways to make that next kitchen of the future even be more efficient. So we feel the ghost kitchens will get a ton of learnings on how to be more efficient with our marketing spend as well as our operations and our kitchen equipment, get into markets that we wouldn't otherwise access in a low cost and efficient manner. Um, but we do want to take a little bit of a wait and see to see what is the ultimate future. Now, what's exciting about our brand is if you think further down the line in terms of virtual brands, we have every ingredient you'd want. Um, you could have an Asian um, virtual brand. You could have mac and cheese. You could have veg- vegetarian. We hit all of those metrics. But first and foremost, we want to see what are the operation efficiencies we can get. How do we actually get these at the highest level possible? So I think it's fascinating because it kind of changes the growth map for a company uh, who's, you know, importantly, their digital sales were uh, probably 80% higher than their in-restaurant sales in the most recent two quarters. So um, digital sales really important for this business. Ghost kitchens can make that a lot more um, effective and profitable for Noodles and Company, presumably every other kind of uh, business that's delivering food. Right, coming up next, we are going to revisit with the CEO of Flowtech, John Gibson, one of our favorite guests, an early guest of this show, and a guest who has seen his stock absolutely collapse uh, despite kind of putting up steady results. We're going to talk to Flowtech's John Gibson about their product offerings and the future of this interesting green energy company. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Right, we are joined right now by Flowtech CEO, John Gibson. Uh, John, we, we probably wouldn't have a company of your size on it since we had your company on few months ago when it was a bigger size. Um, uh, I, I note you were just talking about being smart enough to have a, a glass of water to, to sip as we do the interview. Uh, you might want something stiffer because for two reasons, your stock is trading, uh, is down a lot again today, but you've been buying stock. Not only talking about stock, I like talk about business, but I'm, and it is curious to me that you are in there personally buying shares of the company 
uh, in the most recent financial filings. Um, and so the pain of the stock falling even, you know, 4% today or 8% today is felt by you. How does it feel? Uh, it feels terrible. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I, I think you want a CEO to feel the same pain as the shareholders, Corey. So I'm feeling the pain, but it caught a bit in being small. As, as you point out, we are a, a nano company uh, in terms of uh, our size. And as a consequence, I think there are a few people that are in our stock that are also looking at tax losses for this year. Maybe they were in major investments where they have made quite a lot, and so they're they're stepping out. We've got one or two that I'm aware of that are pondering whether they want to be in the fossil fuel side. But in terms of the story and our execution, uh, I think we're getting better and better. And the green story is resonating. We're probably six months away from the decisions at the wellhead equaling the philosophy in the C-suite. And so I think we're on the right track. We have the right uh, vision and strategy. It's sort of getting through the bumps of people restacking portfolios and finding the right people that are committed to uh, fossil fuels and the uh, road ahead. Yeah. And, and you know, this is a $25 stock five or six years ago. You weren't at the company. The company is a very different company then. Uh, it's, it's a, it's, you know, a single, hell, it's a, it's a buck 10 as we talk at this minute, a shocking development. Uh, let's, let's talk about the business. I do want to get to the taxes, uh, not, not the tax losses that the investors are taking, but I want to talk about the kind of net operating losses that you guys are carrying as well. But first, let's just talk about the business. What is Flowtech today? What, what, what are the most important products that you sell and how do you categorize those? Well, I, we've probably changed even since you and I talked not so long ago. Uh, we were a chemistry company that had uh, environmentally friendly fluids. Today, we're really an ESG company that's selling chemistry for the hydrocarbon industry uh, that, that allows them to meet their sustainability goals and allows them to, uh, to be far greener. So if you can imagine what we sell fundamentally is surfactants, which are based on terpene, which come from oranges or from from pine uh, trees. So we've got delimonene or, or terpenes. Uh, those are biodegradable, non-toxic, and they replace things like xylene and others that have carcinogenic effects, et cetera. And so- And what is that used for at the, at the, uh, at the wellhead? Uh, it improves uh, uh, production performance. And so you can see an uplift in performance anywhere from five to 25%, depending upon uh, the mineralogy of the reservoir and the behavior and, and fluids in the reservoirs. And what so, is that? I started keep interrupting you because um, well, your voice sounds no, so much okay. better than mine. When when do you flow it? Like when does it happen in the course of working a well and trying to get the oil and gas out of that well? So you you treat the reservoir during stimulation in order to change the coating on the grains so that a particular phase of the fluid flows better than others. So you're trying to enable the flow of hydrocarbons and disable the flow of water, or it. And so we have the ability to sort of. Uh, preferentially, it, I would almost call it first-order refining in the reservoir. You're, you're deciding which phases and, and which products you want to produce, and we can and augment or enhance those for you, whether it be uh, the oil or the, the gas or the water in a well. If you're doing water injection, you want the water to flow more easily, so we can do that as well. So it, these surfactants are pumped in during the, the completion job, which is just before you put the well on, for production, and it's so, also used later to improve production after they've they've uh, been producing for a while. So I'm going to try to paraphrase that. Uh, uh, so uh, you drill a hole in the ground with with a, with a bit, 
and 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 you and you drill deeper and deeper until you get to the places in the ground where you think the oil is. It might go down, it might go sideways. Probably does both these days, which is to say, you conventional well goes straight down, and a, and a lateral well is an, an unconventional well. Although increasingly that is the convention. Then at that point, then you case it. So you put steel down essentially to hold uh, 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 the portions of that well together, and then you start to essentially use, use surfactants to to grease the skids, if you will, um, uh, to try to make it do the things that you want to do, whether it's pump water in to open up the porosity of the well and force the oil up, or to pull the oil up because it's ready to come. Uh, uh, very close. I mean, the reason we put steel in the ground in a lot of ways is to be able to inject cement behind the steel in order to get uh, zonal isolation. You don't want any of the fluid to flow behind the pipe in the hole up the well and into the aquifers. And so we place the steel inside of the hole and then push cement down the steel and behind the pipe in order for it to get a complete seal uh, between the bottom of the hole and the aquifers or other formations near the surface so that we can, can prevent any contamination of those aquifers. Now, even with that, there's, there can be leaks behind pipe that move channel and let fluids from the bottom go up. That's why we're so excited about having green chemistry and green surfactants and, and solvents to use in the industry because if you do accidentally have a leak, you want something that has no impact. And so we're working really hard to provide those biodegradable non-toxic chemicals. So even if there is some issue, you, your liability or uh, the, the impact of it will be minimized. So uh, obviously that's very much in the news today with the leak in Southern California offshore. Um, uh, you know, I listened to some of the conference calls and some of the uh, events that this company had been leading up to. New management at a company, not unlike yours. They've been there for a few years, fixing a lot of problems over the years, not unlike yours. Um, and then they have this just, you know, if, if in fact, and it's starting to look like some anchor from, you know, we have this huge global catastrophe of COVID. It leads to this really bizarre effect screwing up the world's sort of shipping process where you have the result of many, many more ships offshore the port of Long Beach, which means it looks like some knucklehead, one of those many ships was in a place where they normally aren't, dropped an anchor where they shouldn't have and dragged it until they ripped a pipeline open. Um, you know, the environmental risks posed by having, you know, by, this is our fuel of choice in our, in our global society, environmental risks are, are being borne out and, and visible right now uh, off the shores of uh, Orange County. Well, um, so I, I, I try to be succinct on this, Corey, but it, you bring up a lot of good points. It sounds like there were an over 100 foot of water and so I don't know how much time you've spent on ships or boats, but uh, uh, vessels, but a hundred foot of anchor chain is a lot of anchor chain because you probably need a thousand foot to put it out in a hundred foot in order to be able to, to, to position the boat. Most of those larger boats that are offshore have dynamic positioning systems. And so there's no anchor at all. They use uh, engines around the, the vessel in order to keep it in position, very similar to how we do drill ships. So I, I don't know what the cause of it is, but I, I do know this, the reported number, actually, I'm impressed with how fast they caught it because right. the volume of it was about 126,000 gallons, but nobody in our industry thinks in gallons. Uh, it's 42 gallons to a barrel, so it ends up being about 3,000 barrels. Uh, there's about 5.61 cubic feet per barrel. So you're looking at 16,840 cubic feet was spilled 
that's roughly the size of a a single mobile home, right? So if you had one that was 18 by right. by 13 and a half by 80 foot long, so the spill is the the size of a two bedroom condo in Huntington Beach would be the volume that was spilled. And given the volume of water offshore, that's that is just insignificant. Uh, the the sit, oil and gas are the second most abundant fluid in the Earth's crust, and so it biodegrades extremely well. It will disappear. It's a story today. In right. six weeks' times, I don't I don't think it'll be on the headlines. I mean, the Macondo incident was nine hundred would have been nine hundred and twenty one mobile homes of right, 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 of right. oil and this is a single mobile home and and you're actually using probably four thousand three or four hundred mobile homes worth of uh water uh or six, maybe sixteen thousand depending on what you want to do it just to make wine in california so that your use of water that's, and the presence and that's of just fires for the and johnson household and that's without <laughs> irrigation <laughs> you know so i mean it you produce 635 uh, million gallons that's about 15 million barrels of wine in 2020 it's about four uh, gallons of water for every uh, gallon of wine to produce it so you're looking at you know 16,000 mobile homes full of water and so it's you know which one has the bigger environmental impact one mobile home full of oil or right. 16,000 mobile homes of water when you've got a water situation. The, the big thing is I don't like using adjectives, so I'm not going to say it was massive and you can't minimize it. Our industry takes this super seriously. Our license to operate depends on us not spilling, reacting rapidly to spills and uh, and mitigating those because we want to do no environmental damage. We we want to 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 be able to provide energy affordably with without any environmental risk. And so uh or, or minimum environmental risk. So I know, I don't know the company or the CEO, but I can assure you for our industry, he's under a lot of pressure from from his own board and his own employees to, to get that fixed, to understand what happened and to prevent it happening in the future. I, I'm, I'm all through some adjectives out there. I think he's handling it well. Uh, and I'm kind of impressed by too. the guy. And I, and, I, and I feel bad for the guy, obviously. Um, I, from what I understand, they actually reworked that pipe to make it more secure by repiping it inside of the pipe knowing that they probably couldn't get the uh, clearances to do a new pipeline there. So in any case, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about this one over time. But it does. So the reason I bring it up when we're talking to you and Flowtech is that Flowtech does seem to be really focused on um, ESG, on environmental goals um, that go beyond what is the standard uh, uh, in the oil and gas industry. Uh, we today. do. And, and, and we work with customers that are what are also committed to that as well. In fact, that's the niche we're moving into is to work with people that have that are serious about measuring the greenhouse gas component of their production and driving that down to, to zero. That would be the goal. And so how do you help them do that? How do you help them produce it without using uh, uh, carcinogenic chemicals like BTEX, uh, benzene, toluene, xylene? Uh, and so I think everything about us is saying we want to be the environmental chemistry company of choice. And, and most of our customers, not all, okay, but most of them are committed to that goal as well. And when I listen to the CEOs and the CFOs on the conference calls every quarter, uh, companies like Devon, they've been kind enough to be on our show as well, CEO of uh, Rick Moncrief, the CEO of Devon. Um, I listen to the, the calls from Chevron. Uh, they are very... Um, forthright about changing the way their business is right now 
and continuing to change it to being more concerned about uh, being a better stewards of the environment. I, you, I couldn't ima- have imagined hearing words like I hear now uh, from across the oil and gas industry, even 10 years ago. I mean, I go to, I go to an intercom conference in Denver and there would be sneers about the notion, uh, a conference that I love, uh, there would be sneers about the very notion of climate change even. And that just doesn't seem to happen at all, uh, at least, you know, in polite company. Uh, well, I'm, um, I, I said this a little earlier. I'll repeat it too, though. It's uh, I, I really do admire guys like Toby Rice at EQT and and Chevron, uh, Devon, uh, Camino. I mean, they're they're really serious about the environment, and those companies are working hard to get that through the comp- their companies. It, we still are challenged though by the fact that the C-suite understands the importance of this to maintain our social license to operate for the future. And we need to get that down to the wellhead so that those there, we don't have a mixed message where their compensation is based on production only. It needs to be on sustainable production. And I think we're still in that transition as an industry where what we're hearing from the C-suite, really good. What we're hearing at the wellhead is still not completely uh, aligned to the scorecard out of the C-suite. So what does that mean for the sales of what's happening with Flowtech right now? That means it's a bit of a challenge, but we're seeing the change. I mean, I think there's a phase uh, shift where I would have said with oil prices going up and the move towards green that we should be doing significantly better. But the actual buying of green means a change of suppliers, changing contracts, uh, changes of approach. And we're still experiencing that delay. Now, are we getting the meetings on the phone every day with C-suites now? talking about how to change uh, their performance and their sustainability. Those calls are picking up. I'm confident in our vision and our mission. Just need a long enough runway to make it happen. So um, do you have that runway? I mean, I, I mentioned the, the, the collapse. I'm, I'm not going to put a, a lipstick on it. It's The stock price has collapsed, um, uh, and you know it's down 60% probably in the last year. Um, I wonder maybe more, um, you know, do you have the runway that you need? Uh, well, we have several opportunities to raise cash, and we're working on those, Corey. So I have some uh, some assets. We had some properties that didn't have great value because the market was extremely down during COVID. But since then, we've gotten long-term leases at good rates and are marketing that uh, real estate. And I think that's going to give us additional cash. And I think there are a few people interested in uh, you know becoming – uh, investors in the company that we're talking to going forward, they see what the green uh, positioning is going to do and how the industry is shifting. But I mean, we still have to execute. I mean, our, our problem now is sales. It's not vision. It's not products. It's not, uh, we, we really have no other issue than ramping up the sales volumes. That's it. Sales is non-dilutive. It's a good, it's a good it thing to need I sales. tell you. <laughs> yeah. And, and to do that, actually, I'm pretty excited. We, uh, during COVID, it was hard to figure out when to invest in the sales force, Corey. Uh, so it's only been in the last four months that I've had confidence oil prices were going to be strong and that the marketplace was going to be strong. And so we've went from very small sales force to a fairly sizable sales force here in the last quarter. And I think that's going to be probably the biggest driver in seeing our sales go up. Our number of feet on the street, what you're expecting on a per salesperson uh, in terms of quotas, all of that actually matches uh, the performance that we want to yield for shareholders. 
but uh, I was I was probably a little slow in ramping up that additional cost in a down market. Uh, being conservative when you don't know when we'll turn around from COVID. Um, how how much the you can tell me how many bodies or how, what percentage of change in oh, Salesforce is it? Well, we we had a couple that were non-performers we let go, uh, and then we've we've at least doubled the Salesforce both in the chemistry side and in the digital side. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about the digital business real quick. What the digital business is the anal- analysis of what's happening in a, any given pipeline at any given moment, right? It's, it's the analysis of fluids while flowing without releasing anything to the atmosphere. So uh, we believe in in-pipe measurements, not external. So by the time you have a leak, you know, that that's a crazy time to monitor for leaks. You'd rather monitor for no leaks. So we have in-pipe analysis where every 15 seconds, we can tell you the composition of the product you produce from a wellhead or the product in a pipeline or the product uh, at a refinery. And so... We would know the moment it came out of the ground, how many barrels of diesel, how many barrels of gasoline, jet fuel, you'd be able to refine from that barrel. Uh, and, and we're able to fingerprint oil, too, and associate it with a particular production operation so that those people that are improving their sustainability, reducing CO2, I, we're hoping they'll get a premium for that crude in the marketplace and that we'll be able to identify that crude for them uh, mm-hmm. going forward so that it wow. you know, when they take it to market, you'll see low CO2 crude bring a premium. Interesting. Um, let me also ask about uh, net operating losses is more of a balance sheet issue. Um, you guys, because you, you have the great fortune of having lost so much money that uh, <laughs> there's an inherent value in the in the company. Um, how what, What's there and how does that work? Well, uh, still have over $100 million and, and have been building those since we last talked, uh, NOLs. It, the regulations on NOLs are not as lucrative as they were in the past. And so you really have to think about the structure of any acquisition or merger or that you might contemplate to, to retain advantage of an NOL. But uh, we've spent a lot of time analyzing them to, to make sure that we can retain and, and preserve the majority of them and are looking at uh, opportunities that uh, would give us a chance to take advantage of them. It's intriguing because you know you're, you're the, the value the the market is valuing the company uh, at ninety million dollars right now. If you've got a hundred million dollars of of net operating losses, I can see why you would be a buyer personally because you recognize the asset is is the you could shut the doors right now and the value of the company would be greater than than what you're doing. Uh, it well, and we've still got over twenty million in cash. So I mean, the cash and the NOLs are greater than the value of the company at the moment. Uh, I I think you always want a CEO that's a buyer. Uh, the moment that I cease to believe in the company, I should resign. Uh, I don't have any intention of resigning. And so I continue to buy and I continue to be our biggest advocate as to what we're doing and, and how we're going to turn this around. Well, it's it's a it's an absolutely interesting company to follow. And um, we haven't had many return guests on the show. So I'm really glad to have you back because it is, a, you know, like I said, it's a great story. And you're a good company, John Gibson. We appreciate it. Um, and uh, I, wish you a lot of luck. You know, I really appreciate it too, Corey. I mean, it's... Uh, I like turning things around. Sometimes it takes a little longer than others, but uh, I think we're on track and we just need to stay the course. All right. When the drill down continues, we're going to uh, talk a little bit more about John Gibson's company, FlowTech, with one number that tells us a whole lot right after this. The drill down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform 
where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill On podcast on your favorite speaker, perhaps, if you've got a Google Play or an Amazon Alexa. Just ask that device to play the Drill Down podcast our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Okay, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Flowtech. We mentioned the sorry state of affairs with the stock price and the valuation of this company below $90 million now, surely the smallest company we've ever talked about in this show. I said probably the small, smallest company we ever will talk about. We thought it was worth revisiting. But yeah. that said, yes, there are uh, over $100 million in net operating losses. And yes, there's another $20 million in cash on the books. There's also 164 patent assets at the, at the firm. So there's your number, 164. There are 164 patent assets at this company. So they've got patents, they've got cash, they've got, uh, unfortunately, increasing net operating losses. Uh, it's an interesting company, you know, the, the, sometimes you see companies like that bought out just for what's on the books, let alone mm -hmm. what might be a promising technology. Well, either way, we love talking to John Gibson. What a great voice. What a nice guy. Uh, and what an interesting challenge before him. 100%. That's a different number. <laughs> yeah. All right. You've been listening to Real Long Podcast, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm Corey Johnson, Isaac Webster, is our executive producer. Our editor extraordinaire is Ben Wilson. That dog you hear is Nikki. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.